Oh, our Father in heaven, we thank you for such hope. We thank you that, uh, Lord, that's true, that we are in you because of what your Son has done. We thank you that, Father, today we want to come and bring praise to you. And, Father, we pray that uh, as we're assembled here to hear your word, as we've already sung praises from our hearts to you, we pray that that would be pleasing unto you. And, Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in you and for all that you're doing in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, good to be with you again this morning. Several things before I get started. First of all, uh, we have a prayer request that uh, I want to share with the whole church family. We have a nine-year-old girl, daughter of Tony and Jackie. Is it Truffs? Truffs? Like that? Pronouncing the name is kind of tough. Me and my name issue. But their daughter has a bone infection. She's nine years old, and right now she's in Children's Mercy in Kansas City. And so, you know, family, where we can tell them, because they've been attending our church, they're part of our church family, and we want them to know that we pray. So if you'll join me praying for this. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the author of life. Father, there's nothing that comes as a surprise to you. And you know this little girl who even this morning could be in, is in Kansas City at Children's Mercy. and Lord, facing uh, a bone infection that could be very dangerous. We thank you that uh, there's hope in you. And this morning as we spend time in your word, knowing who you are can change the way we come to you in prayer. And so this morning, Father, believing that you hear and that you answer, we pray that you would be strength and that you would bring hope to a little girl as well, to her parents and family. And then, Father, you're the healer. And you've done it before. And by faith, we come before you asking you to heal this little girl for your glory and your purpose. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, also this morning, Richard, why don't you come on up? You know, I told you last week how I've been so encouraged with 12th Avenue and your commitment and your work with missions, and we've just got to follow up. I should have got the mic, yeah. Uh, on that, Richard's got a report. So, Richard, share with us. All right, John, thank you. Uh, so, first of all, I want to say from uh, on behalf of the missions committee, thank you for uh, your support and your participation during our missions conference, uh, we were blessed by uh, our speaker and those missionaries that attended, and we have heard from those missionaries uh, that were here of how you blessed them, how uh, you supported them and showed interest and gave them meals and uh, places to stay, <clears throat> and uh, so they greatly appreciate that. Uh, secondly, to, in this report, I want to provide a status on where we're at on uh, faith promise pledges. And so I've got a slide here that kind of sh uh, shows the main thing I want to point out. And so on the uh, left uh, bar chart there, that is what represents our uh, projected need for 2019 for our missions budget and you can see in the orange about $146,000 are uh, that's about what we give to our home and international missionaries 
and uh, we have about 48,000 that's we call discretionary, which is, amounts to one-time gifts that we give uh, to meet special needs or uh, special projects that missionaries have, and uh, our short-term missions trips that like uh, Mexico missions, uh, trips, uh, short-term trips uh, that college students go on, uh, members of our congregation go on. So that comes out of that discretionary 48,000. And about 7,000 is for uh, our missions conference. That covers our speaker, and uh, we pay the travel expenses for all of our missionaries when, when they come back to visit. So that, that represents uh, our projected need for uh, 2019. So the green, or excuse me, the blue on the right side of that graph shows where, where we're currently at after a couple of weeks of Faith Promise pledge cards uh, submittals. That's 113,000 and as you can see, um, right now at least, we're, that uh, is over 31,000 short of just funding our uh, current missionary support. And actually, that's not too bad for two weeks into this, but our job is to uh, provide that status to you, let you know where we're at, and it's up to you and God to determine what uh, he would have you do as far as t uh, your faith promise uh, pledges. So the one um, thing that is probably confusing to the congregation is how we use those faith promise pledges. So our policy requires that uh, we develop next year's budget based off of those pledges. Those pledges are anonymous. We don't, uh, we don't know who has made them, and when money comes in next year, we don't know whether that's money that's being given beyond faith promise pledges or whether that is just your faith pr promise pledge. So we are limited to uh, using those faith promise pledges and any excess that we uh, would project for this year, that becomes next year's uh, budget. Uh, currently, for 2018, uh, missions giving is pretty much on track to uh, balance out our uh, 2018 budget, which means there's currently not any excess funds projected, at least as of the end of September, to uh, be able to add to faith promise pledges. So why are we, why am I telling you all that? In two weeks, uh, about two weeks from now, we need to start, the missions committee will need to start working on 2019 missions budget. And I would not want to be in a situation of trying to develop a budget on where we're at now. And, but I would say that there's a positive uh, 
nature into where we're at with that 113,000. And that is, it's actually significantly, um, there are significantly uh, more pledge cards uh, that appears will be submitted this year than in the past. We're already at uh, more pledge cards uh, than we had last year, which means a lot of you have submitted pledge cards and uh, we think entered into um, faith promise pledges uh, probably more than uh, what we've seen in the past. And we thank you for that. For those of you who haven't yet turned them in, if uh, you would look in your bulletin, uh, there are uh, Faith Promise pledge cards somewhere here. Uh, so anyway, in your bulletin there are Faith Promise pledge cards. If you would uh, fill those out and turn them in today uh, or at the latest by next week, that way we'll, we'll have a good uh, feel for what will be in that column blue uh, bar graph for use in next year's budget. And I want to uh, uh, end with also reminding you that uh, faith promise or prayer promise uh, is also part of an, an important part of how we support our missionaries. And so we've, we've done that differently this year. Instead of having a prayer promise card that you uh, turn in, it's done online. And in your bulletin, you'll, you'll see that there's a, a link to go to. Identify uh, which missionaries you are committing to pray for. And... Uh, it gives us the opportunity electronically to take that information, send out to the missionaries so they know who's praying for them. So uh, if you'd take the time to go to that link and um, uh, identify who you would like to uh, commit to pray for for 2019, we'd appreciate that also. So thank you for letting me make uh, that uh, this report. and. Uh, our job is to just let you know where we're at and let you respond to uh, God and wh what he'd have you do. So, well, Brother Richard, thank you for sharing. What I want to do is I want to pray for this part of our church and just that next step. So we pray. Father, we thank you for the weekend that we shared together. Well, Father, that's just a very small part of our year. It does represent what's on the heart of you and what's father we believe that you're growing inside our church and father i pray that as we seek you and we sense your next steps for us and father each one of us would be responsible we'd be excited about seeing what you do because as we walk this path it's between you and each one of us and so father we commit it to you and we do ask i would ask that you would encourage this your body to be a part of supporting and sending those that we've identified as our responsibility. Thank you for Brother Richard and their team, and we ask you to lead us in your namesake. Amen. Thank you, Brother Richard. Well, the second thing today is it's kind of an interesting day. 
today is Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, it's the 100-year anniversary of what started it. And as I was driving down today just thinking about it, I know I was going to say, talk about this. My dad was 11 years old, so he couldn't serve in World War I. He was too young. My grandfather was too old. And when World War II came out, my dad was too old to serve in World War II. So I missed the military part of experience that happens in a lot of families. And so today, just to respect and honor, if you have served or you are currently serving in the military, any of those six uh, arms of the military, would you please stand? I know there's some. I know you're here. Please stay standing. And so from this side to this side, let me just express for our church to you, I want to say thank you for your sense of service, of what you did to be a part of the, uh, our nation's armed forces. And while Jen prayed over this earlier today, we realized that we have freedom. We have freedom of worship. And we have freedom to assemble because we continue to believe that's an important part of our culture, our society living together. And I just want to thank you for your part in that. So you all may be seated. And so we're back in Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, let's get to Ephesians chapter 3. Last week I tried to be fair with you, cover all those verses that I covered where we talked about not losing heart. And just a, a quick summary of one more time what's in this book. Those first two chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul just can't keep in him who God is. And it just comes out. The rocket verbs, everything that we have in Christ and who the church is as he defines church at the end of chapter 2, that is all packed together. And then starting in chapter 3, those first three words, for this reason, Paul then talks about what happened to him and because of who Christ is, then what, what happens to us? And last week, we listened to Paul talk about not losing heart, how bad circumstances around our lives can impact us, and yet, knowing who God is and experiencing His presence in our day-to-day -day life transforms the way we look into the future and that we don't lose heart. Now, starting in verse 14, he does it again. He says, for this reason. And so I want to ask you to stand. This is, uh, it's only from 14 down to 21. It's not as long as other passages. But I want to read God's word over us as a church family and uh, ask him to speak to us this morning. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in 14 through 21, here's what Paul would have to say to us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we just listen to Paul's heart towards you and how that impacts what prayer is to him. Father, I pray that you would catch each one of our hearts and just help us see the power of coming to you in prayer. And so bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. So last week, remember, I started saying he uses this phrase only twice for this reason. And last week he was talking about all that, what I think, the reason that he wants us not to lose heart. He talked about all the way through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and it ended up at the end because we're citizens of him. We're part of the family of God. Those aspects, Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged in what you see happening to me because God is up to something bigger than what you know, even bigger than what I know. I can trust him. And he talked about how he did that in his own life. And so I called it ramble. It was the longest ramble in the book of Ephesians. And he's going to ramble a little bit this week, but not near as much. So we get down to verse 14 and one more time. He says, oh, and for this reason. And I believe the for this reason goes back just two verses. We don't have to look at the whole two chapters. It starts in verse 12 and 13. Here's what he said last week. He said, in Christ Jesus, the one in whom we have boldness and with confidence through our faith in him, we can come to him. Through our boldness in him and confident access, we can come to him. Paul then says, and for this reason, because of bold access into all that God is, that encourages his heart. And so he, last week, he said, for this reason, and then he rambled and rambled around, and then he says, I want to ask you, don't lose heart. This week, he says, for this reason, I. And he says he does something that in Baptist churches we're really not comfortable with. We don't do it quite enough. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Now, church family, we as, we as Baptists, if you know our history, we're, we're a reform bunch. We're a bunch that uh, the Reformation meant something. The Catholic Church had gotten the way it was. It was uh, formal, and it didn't talk a lot about relationship. And so in most Baptist churches today, you're not going to find a kneeling bench. Uh, I was just, last year, I was in an ordination of a really good friend of mine in Kansas City, and I went to a Catholic Mass, and you know what? In a Catholic church. Those of you with Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. You get on your knees. That's prayer posture. And 
I believe there's all kinds of prayer posture. Uh, when I was in Tanzania, we would go prayer walking, and I'd get into the Muslim parts of town. And do you know how you pray with a Muslim? You pray like this, eyes wide open. You look them in their face, and you hold your hands this way. That's their prayer posture. And there's something very special when I would pray with Muslim people to look them in the eye and pray God's word over their lives. And just holding my hands out like that, my hand is open. And I, I want God to be blessing their lives. Prayer posture, there's nothing wrong with that. Our predominantly, I remember teaching my kids, you know, we pray at the breakfast table, we close our eyes, we bow our head in respect, and we close out other influence or, you know, what we pick up visually, we close our eyes to that and we focus on the Lord. That's prayer posture. But as Paul says, for this reason, because I have confident access to the Lord, I bow my knees. Now, there's something about this posture. First of all, I'm very submissive. You know, I can't run. You, you saw, I, I, you probably didn't hear it, but my left one popped. Is I got down here one more time. Uh, my kneecaps are not as soft as they used to be. I wouldn't want to stay here a long, long time. But I'm submissive. I'm not going to go anywhere very fast. I'm also bowing in respect for who he is to get before him in this way. And so, as Paul says, for this reason, because I have confident access to be before him, I want to get into a submissive position. I want to yield my life to him. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, you, now I know some sheet rockers are going to be some guys at work. They work on their knees. I see those big knee pads that they have. And they get down. But you can't do an awful lot when you're on your knees. And so as Paul looks up into the face of God, he gets into a prayer posture that begins to start what he wants us to discover about what it is to know the Lord in prayer. And so starting in verse 14, there are four things that I, I believe that comes out of Paul's heart that is his confident access to who God is. And that's why as Paul is teaching us about prayer, he's not, he's not breaking down a neat little outline. What's at the core for Paul in prayer is to know him. Do I understand who God really is? And what, what he, who he is and what he has done and will do, that's underneath all that Paul wants to pray. And so there's four parts of who God is to Paul that are in where he's talking about prayer. So the first one is in verse 15. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And he teaches about who the Father is. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so as Paul looks up into heaven, he realizes who he's talking to. He's talking to the Father of the Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, every family that has been named, he knows them. 
And so for Paul to leave the Jewish concept where the Jews were the only ones that had access to God, and now Paul is saying, no, I'm praying to the Father who is over, who knows every family that's ever been named. I can trust him. He knows what's going on. You know, Jesus taught us this. We call it the Lord's Prayer. I like to call it the model prayer. You know, in Luke where they said, well, teach us how to pray. And he says, I can teach you how to pray. Our Father, that one who is in heaven. Jesus did the very same thing. He's saying, we start in our relationship with God and talking to him, we identify who he is. And that's exactly where Paul starts. The Father, the one who every family in heaven and on earth, he is aware of who we are. And so just practically this morning, we've already prayed for a little girl who's in a hospital in Kansas City dealing with a bad bone infection. We can start our prayer realizing, ex expressing to God that he's aware. He is aware. He knows the family. He knows the whole situation in which that circumstances taking place in that family and that can give us confidence that confident access that we have to look God in the face and tell him you are the one you know every family you know all the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents and everybody in that little girl's family there's something good about that now I don't know if you all watch the news but it, it, it was not, it was a tragedy. One more time in our country, in California, there was that shooting just a couple of days ago. And yesterday, I don't know how many times, I saw the news. They kind of like this, this mother whose son had been in Las Vegas. He'd been in that shooting and not been hurt. But in this shooting, he was killed. And this mama says, I'm tired of your prayer. I don't want any more prayer. Now, y'all, I, I want to give her all the credit in the world because when you're going through grief and you've just had a son, I mean, I sat there and tried to, to connect with where she is, where I thought if my son had been killed, had been shot totally innocently, how would I be responding to people that talk to me? So I'm not, I do not want to be critical of her, but I do, I did pray for her. I pray that this lady could understand that there is a God who is over tragedy. He is bigger. Tragedy is not a new thing. Let's go back to the very beginning. Cain killed Abel right there in the family. We got one who's jealous over the other, and it starts right there. So we've got a pretty good history, okay? And God didn't take him right then. God needs wisdom. He has a plan to bring righteousness he has a plan to heal broken humanity and those of us that are on that path of looking to him for our answers I believe it starts believing that he is aware God is not asleep he knew what was going on in a thousand oaks California and yet he is with families he wants to be he wants to come and bring hope Bring hope to you, bring hope to your family, and to bring hope to the community that's around. I do believe that sometimes talk gets cheap, but we're not talking about a cheap God.
the price he paid for us to have access to him is everything that's in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Ephesians where Paul can't hold that in his heart. He is the God who blesses us. He is the God who has predestined that we have a relationship with him on a family level. He is the God who seeks us out. He is the God that ties it all together. He is the God who makes it known. That's who he is. And Paul says, Father, to you I want to turn because you know everything. Secondly, not only every family in heaven and on earth is named in his knowledge, in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there's some of you in this room that are going to be like me. Priscilla says, I'm just a little, I'm a little too type A when it comes to my bank accounts, when it comes to, you know, what we're trying to, you know, I'm looking at retirement, I'm looking at kind of the next chapter in life. So I do, I, I watch numbers, and I want to watch a set of numbers a whole lot better than what I'm looking at. My Excel spreadsheet, guess what? It can't hold it. The other day, I had to go clear to the far right side of an Excel spreadsheet. You know how far that is? I, I can't believe how many rows are in an Excel spreadsheet, and it's just unbelievable. And so if we were adding up the riches of God's grace... The riches of what he's done for us. The riches of who he is. That is what we pray out of. And I think that is what will make, bring our prayer lives to be fuller and more exciting and more valuable. Is where, just as Paul says, that according to the riches of your glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Our God's not a cheap God. And when you, when we just get in touch with the unsearchable, the uncountable, you can't, you can't draw a bottom line on how rich he is. That vast vault of his goodness and his grace is standing right, I mean, it's sitting right here. It's in who he is. And he says, Paul's saying, it's out of that vault that I'm coming to you. I'm confidently coming with my access to you because what Christ has done for me, I'm coming on your riches that you have, your riches of your grace that you've poured out on my life. So first of all, he says, God, you're a God who knows. You know it all. Secondly, God, you're a God who is rich. You've got the riches of everything you've done. Third, down in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. And so who is this God? This God is a strengthening God. I've been watching, I don't, I don't see him here. He's not been able to be with his first service, but many of you in this church know Tim, Tim and Christy Wright. And right now, Tim needs strengthening. Tim is dealing with a cancer that's not a good cancer. And they were in Kansas City recently. They just keep working on it. 
Uh, Tim is kind to me, and he lets me just walk life with him. Even though I live in Topeka, we text each other. I have to smile. Some mornings I wake up. Tim was awake at 2 in the morning, and he's sending me a message. And uh, I think it's a gift to see God at work in Tim's life and Christy's life and their family's life, where even though we see his physical body deteriorating, he, he told me, Yesterday, he said, John, I can't, I can't get around the house. I'm now stumbling. I just can't function in the house. He's in a wheelchair now. And yet to believe that Tim's inner heart, because of who he is in Christ, that inner heart is not deteriorating. That inner heart, even though his brain can't function now in a way that it's coming out to us where you know, he can speak clearly, you know, he's losing that capacity. I'm believing. And I'm believing because of everything that we've heard about that and everything that I believe about the resurrection, that it is true that God is stronger than everything, than the grave, than the power of death, than the power of destruction that's going on in Tim's life. And so I just pray that as we see Tim, and he may come second service, don't know if he and Christy will get out. If not, you know, I just pray that as God is with him, walking with him, because he's his creator. He knows him, and he's with him. And Tim has responded to that and grown in that. And so in this chapter, just as Paul says, that Christ may dwell in his heart and our hearts, and that you, being rooted and grounded in his love, may, the, may have the strength to comprehend what he's doing. You know, for Tim and for others, sometimes we don't have the strength to handle it. You know, the mama who got on television and talked about, I'm just tired of it. You know, there's a great example. I mean, she's worn out. I, I just can't take any more. And so what God wants to give us is the strength to walk into the future when the future looks very bleak. We walk into the future towards him. And so here we've got a guy who's locked up in jail. He's facing the death penalty. And it is going to happen. And yet he says, I'm being strengthened because I'm grounded and I'm rooted. I like those two words. One of those is a building word. The other one's an agricultural word. Got a strong foundation. That's the grounded. I'm built on a rock of what God is doing. And... My little wife's been doing this. She's got a new, she got two ferns in her garage. She's rooted those nice little asparagus ferns really good. We dug them out of the garden. We've got them inside. And I'm watching that new life come into them here in the wintertime where it was 12 degrees in Topeka the other day. Those asparagus ferns would have been long gone. But because they're in a nice warm place, they got a little grow light on them, and those little roots are doing their thing. I want a heart like that. I want to be drawing all that I can get out of a relationship with him. And so what Paul says, as I look at your face, Father, first of all, you know. You know every family on earth. You know all of my relationships. Secondly, not only do you know, Father, 
you are rich in glory. Who you are and how you're revealing yourself. I want to know how rich that is. Thirdly, and Father, I want to be strengthened. I want to be strong enough to comprehend what you're up to. And then finally, if, as Paul prays who God is, it's down in verse 20. It's the last of the four. He says, now to him who is able to do. We have a God who does. Now, I don't know about you all, but part of my Christian experience was classroom. I, uh, I went and I got my master's. I've got a doctor's degree. So I've put my time in. And I learned a lot. But you want to know what, what Paul talks about? It's not a God to be learned of. It's a God who does. We have a God who involves himself. He is active. And he can do, I love his phrase, he can do abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so church family, as we kind of connect with Paul's heart, as he's, he says, for this reason, I bow my, for this reason, because of all who God is, for this reason, because of what I've tried to teach you, of what I know about him, for that reason, and because I have confident access before him, I bow my knee. I want to be submissive to him. I want him because he's a God who knows. He's a God who's rich in grace. He's a God who can strengthen me when I need to be strengthened. And he's a God who does. And he does far more abundantly than whatever I ask or think. And I want to propose to you that sometimes in our prayer life, we get a channel that we think God needs to go down. And we get out in front of him, and we start telling him, God, I want you to do this. And sometimes we see God do that. Yeah, he answers prayer, and it happens. But I want to go with where Paul says. He says, I'm talking to a, a father who knows everything, who's rich in glory, who can strengthen me so I can understand, and I want this God who can do it far bigger than I can ever figure out, more abundantly than I can ask or think, I want him to be the one who's involved in doing the things in my life and beyond. And so Paul is praying out of the knowledge of who God is. Now that's hard to put in your prayer notebook. I think it'd be really, I mean, I'm trying now. You all heard I'm not a writer. Guess what? I've, I've now got a little journal in my morning devotional time. I'm now starting to write to myself and just saying these kinds of things. God, you're a one. You're the one who knows. Father, you're the one who does far abundantly. You're the one who can strengthen. And Father, you're the one who's rich in your glory. And it is to you that I want to bring my requests. And so Paul's expectations that he has in prayer. First of all, his expectation is that he's going to come humbly. That worship on his knees before the Lord, that humility that he has before him. So his first expectation is that he believes God will strengthen him. 
to comprehend. I've already spoken about that's who God is, but his expectation is that, God, you would. I want you to strengthen me. I can't, I don't have the strength to face what I'm facing. Father, I need you to strengthen me. I look over and see Richard right here. In some ways, church, that's exactly what he was talking about. That we just look up into God's face and we say, Father, will you strengthen us as, a, as your family of people that we can be strong enough to be faithful to the people that we've committed to in the past? Would you do that? You're the, you're the God of the harvest. You're the, you're the God of everything. We don't give you 10%. <laughs> we can give you everything because it came from you. I, didn't, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to go away with nothing and everything in between is yours. And... So, God, I just trust you to be the one who strengthens us. Help us understand what you're up to. Secondly, about his expectation is not only that we're strengthened, that we would know what surpasses knowledge. Now, I talked about riches, and I said my Excel spreadsheet where I go clear over here, and that's how big the crazy thing is, and God's riches of his glory are richer than that. And he says that we can know what's unknowable. And that that's what God does. God opens eyes. Now you stop and think, who's doing the writing here? This is a guy who had letters to go and persecute the church. He was killing. I mean, he'd already done it once. He'd given approval for Stephen to be stoned. We don't know. I'm kind of looking forward to heaven to hearing the rest of that story. The pre-Damascus Road story of Paul. But that dude... He was intentional about what he was going to do to persecute the church. And now he's been totally changed where he's not only working the church, the church, I mean, the Jewish community have now turned on him and persecuting him. And he says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It is unknowable. It surpasses it. And I want you to know it. Now, church family, let me tell you, that is eternity. We start a little bit where we are today, but it is going to take eternity to get to know how deep and how wide and how high His love is. That's what we have to look forward to. And He is all the time wanting to reveal that goodness in the midst of a broken world. Paul's expectation is that we would know the unknowable, that that surpasses, that we'd have the strength to comprehend. And then finally, Paul's expectation is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember back at chapter 2? Chapter 2 is where he defines church. The end of chapter 2, Paul says, no, it's not, I'm sorry. It's the end of that prayer section, chapter 1. He says, and he's put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul can't leave this alone. He's into fullness. He's into the filling of God, the, the filler of all of us that need it with everything that we need. And he, he says, and we're filled with the fullness of God. Now, that's my prayer some days. I want you to know, last Friday, woke up. 
Uh, we'd been, it'd been kind of a full week. I was over at KU on Thursday night and saw what's going on there with the Christian Challenge Ministry at KU. And uh, I came home, and I get tired. I didn't have the fullness of God. But you want to know something? I got it later. I got to spend time in His Word that Friday evening, and I said, I really do need to work on this. And, and God's just faithful. And sometimes, sometimes He doesn't come as fast as I want, but so far, He's been faithful to fill up all that I need with all that He is, and I continue to keep discovering the fullness of God. And so this morning, I want to ask you, as you consider your time alone in prayer, Paul says, for this reason, because I have confident access, because I can pray, and I know that he hears me, I pray, I bow my knee, I get submissive, and I say, God, you're the one who knows, God, you're the one who's the riches of your glory, God, you're the one who strengthens me, and God, you are the one who does. And what you do is you strengthen me, and not only, God, do you strengthen me, you fill me, and you help me know that which is unknowable. Father, that's the riches, that's the fullness of coming to you in prayer. And so, church family, that's the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Next Sunday is one church. And Garen's already gone because of his responsibility, but we get to enjoy Garen. Garen's going to be preaching next week, and then the next week is Thanksgiving, and then four weeks of Christmas. So I've got my outlines for where we're going. We're, I'm going to not come back to Ephesians. Can you believe that? I'm stopping at the end of chapter 3. But let me tell you, chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how do we live in light of who God is. First of all, we don't lose heart. That's chapter 3, first part. Second part is we live as people who pray. We bow our knees because there's a confident expectation we have of this God who is this way. And then he gets real specific. Husbands, here's how you live. Wives, here's how you live. Parents, here's how you live with kids. Workers, here's how you live. He, he then begins to define the reality of how we live in a broken world. But it's all built on where it started with who God is. The book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for Paul's explanation of what we need to hear about what it is to pray to you. Father, today, those of us in this room just that are looking towards you, we want to have submissive, humble hearts. That, Father, we do believe that you're a God who knows. That you're a God who is so rich in your grace and your goodness towards us. That, Father, you strengthen us in places where we don't comprehend. And, Father, that you're a doer. That you will act in what we need. Father, I pray that you would Continue to help us discover what it is to come to you in this part of our relationship with you. Where we open our hearts to we, we, we pour out what we're experiencing. And that God, it would not just be ticking a box or doing a, uh, a simple discipline. But Father, we could discover the riches of coming to you in prayer. 
that Paul had. Lead us in that. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so, church family, I want to ask you to stand. Next week, as I said, one church will get together. This afternoon, if, uh, if you've got a free afternoon, 4 o'clock, we're going to celebrate uh, Jason and Jordan and God's call in their lives at 4 o'clock over at the West Building. We're going to be there. But a benediction that I have for us is out of the book of Jude. I left Paul. This week, we're in Jude. Jude chapter 1, 24 and 25. This is what I have for us to end. And now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Go and be the church.